you'll open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6 can also be found uh, on page 151 in the black Bibles that are scattered around nearby under the chairs. Um, So page 151, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just these three weeks, uh, last week we started it, we're here again this week and the next week we'll be here again looking at discipleship. So what is discipleship? To be a disciple is to be a follower of Christ and our vision statement as a church is that our job is to glorify God by multiplying followers of Christ among every people group. That's what we're about. That's what God has called us to. And one of the lenses we want to look through is the lens of the family. One of the primary means that God uses to make disciples is regular families. Now, before those of you that don't have a nuclear family here with you, like, zone out, I just want to challenge you that this is for you as well that you are called to be a part of the family of God and you are called to support that work that's going on in uh, the craziness of our nuclear families, okay? So we need your help. We desperately need your help. And Jesus says, my real family are those that do my will. So we want to kind of blur those distinctions back and forth today a little bit. Really to be family is to be in God's family. God adopts us into his family. So that's really primary for us as people of God. And then secondary to that, one of the primary means of of spreading what God is doing is through natural families as well. So we're going to kind of blend back and forth, so don't zone out. You have to still pay attention, okay? Um, There's kind of two extremes we go to with families. Before we read the text, I want you to think about this. We either go to the extreme of family is God or the extreme of family is obstacle, right? Either family gets in the way of my fun, my adventure, what I want to do, or family is God, family is everything. And the Bible challenges both of those extremes, right? So everyone here, you're, you probably lean towards one of those or the other. So, so listen to how the Bible challenges those extremes. Um, we'll read uh, Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15, okay? Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 15. The context in Deuteronomy, uh, this is the literally in Greek, Deuteronomy means second law. Um, and this is the re-giving of the law. If you remember when God saved the Israelites out of uh, bondage in Israel and the Exodus, they kept rebelling and basically saying, God, we wished that you never saved us. And so God said, okay, I'll let you die in the desert and I'll work with your kids. So there's this 40 year wandering and God's now working with the second generation. They're about to enter the promised land and he's giving the law all over again. So think of this in that context. A lot of us can relate, right? Um, we're probably real good, but our parents were terrible, and now we're the generation, right? I'm kind of, kind of being a little silly here, but, but there's this new generation now, and God is saying, all right, things were messed up before, but it's your chance to get it right now, okay? I'm still the God that saves, and I want you to follow me now as we go into this new land. So listen to these words. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit 
in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into that land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you didn't have to dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and when you're full, listen to this, when you are full, when you eat and you're full, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Good encouraging word for us this morning. All right, let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are jealous, that you are so jealous for our devotion that you'll destroy anything else that gets in the way. And I pray that you would help our hearts uh, to be attentive to you, that we would hear you, that you would speak to us this morning. God, you know there are those this morning that, that aren't sure what this is about, that aren't sure even of you. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see how great you are, that you are the rescuing God, that you are the God that rescues us out of bondage, that you are the God that adopts children for himself. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of us have baggage from the families that we came from. I think we all do. Even those of us that grew up in great families, there's still issues, you know, that we struggle with. And I had the privilege the last couple of days of being a part of an abortion recovery retreat weekend that Hope Pregnancy Center sponsors, um, and I got to kind of be the pastor on hand to help lead some of those um, exercises we went through, learning the scriptures, relearning who Jesus is and what grace really means, and the love of an adopting God. Um, and this is the third time I've gotten to do this, and this was actually the biggest one we've done. And so just listen to story after story of, of really broken women and men who were grieving over uh, the pain in their past. Um, and, and in that process, there, there were moments when I would hear people's stories when my body would get hot because as a father, I wanted to take vengeance, right? I don't know if you've been in those positions before when you hear the story of, of the abuse and the neglect and the painful things that people have gone through that you just, you just want to do something about it. You want to make it right, and there were times when I cried, and I've told you all before, I don't really cry. I, I had about five years worth of crying in a couple of hours yesterday, just grieving over the hurt that some of these folks have gone through, grieving over the lies that many believe that they're completely abandoned, the lies that many believe that they're all on their own because someone has sinned against them, then compounding that with our own sin, thinking God's abandoned me, he's not with me, and then we start sinning as a means to find some kind of peace and some kind of happiness ourselves. And, and what I want you to see in Deuteronomy 6, and then recognize that this is really a theme throughout Scripture, is that God comes to us and says, stop sinning, obey my law. But as he does that, he's saying, and remember, I'm the one that saved you. I've adopted you into my family. He always precedes the law with his grace. Even the giving of the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's kind of like, 
ultra law, right, in the Bible is the Ten Commandments. God gives the Ten Commandments, and even in Exodus 20, when the Ten Commandments come down from the scary, fiery mountain, God starts it with, I am the God that rescued you out of slavery. I am the God that adopted you as my special treasured possession. So now obey me, follow me, trust me. I love you. I know what's best for you. Stop killing yourself with this sin and with this disobedience. And so before we look at how earthly families are supposed to operate, we need to remember that we are only in God's family by adoption. Adoption is the means that we are part of God's family. It's not because of the color of our skin. It's not because of how we talk. It's not because of how smart we are, how awesome we are, that we're a part of God's family. It's because of his grace. It's because he is a great God, because he is the kind of God that rescues people out of bondage. And we have to remember that and keep that in the forefront of our minds. And so, in a similar fashion, the way God always proceeds here in Deuteronomy 6, he starts with the heart, and that's the first thing I want us to look at. Family discipleship, seeing your family as a means of discipleship and not a not a God unto itself that you're worshiping, and not an obstacle that gets in the way of your fun, but really a tool God's given you for discipleship. Seeing that opportunity starts with your heart, starts with my heart. And so look again at verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6 say, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you're going over to possess it. I've shared with you guys before, I have a a heart problem of not liking rules, right? Maybe that's just I'm ADD, maybe I'm abstract, I don't know what it is, but I have a problem with commandments. So, you know, when I read a text and it says, here's some rules for you, that's, that's hard for me to hear, okay? Um, it's hard to listen, but, but keep listening. I just want to say, if you're like me, come on, it's going to be okay, all right? Verse 2 says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments. Okay, so it's an expression of our honor and reverence of God that we would obey him. It says, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. It's going to be good for you. God has something better in mind than how we've been living. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, now I'm, I can pay attention a little better, right? Okay, milk and honey, I'm in. Do y'all like milk? Anybody here like milk or honey? Think like pizza and barbecue or, I mean, just, you can translate this, right? You can make your own translation. Uh, I don't know, like waffle cones, ice cream, just kind of insert what, what makes sense to you here. That's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to good things, okay? Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one real God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They should be on your heart. He says that it's got to start inside. It's got to start with our heart. That's the only way we're really going to be able to obey him. Okay? So so don't start out here with all the, the rules and regulations, but start with your heart. Start with reminding yourself that this is the same God that saved Israel out of bondage. He's the same God that comes to us in Jesus and saves us out of bondage. Jesus told Moses and Elijah he's about to accomplish the exodus on the cross. The cross is the new exodus. The cross is the ultimate saving out of bondage that God has accomplished for us. It's the same God that we worship today. He saves people to himself. He adopts them into his family. And we have to believe that down 
deep in our heart. And that's the only way we're going to have a healthy family. That's the only way we're going to have a healthy life is if that's been drilled down into our heart. He says, love God with all of your heart, with your strength, with your might, with, every, with everything that you have. He says, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart. We've got to love them. It's not enough to just go through the motions. We actually have to love him. We actually have to think that what God has for us is good, that God loves us, that he's gracious. So my question for you this morning is, are, are, you, are you here to go through the motions or to try to trick God into being kinder to you, or do you really believe he's good and he loves you and he's gracious and he's got good things for you? I have a picture here of roots, and I've used this picture a million times. Whenever you Google roots, I think this is like the first picture that pops up. But I love this picture because you've got a cross-section of a tree, and, and you can see what the roots look like. Because ordinarily, if you have a tree in your front yard, you can't see the roots, right? I mean, maybe one pops up, but there's a lot of roots under every tree and every bush. We don't really have trees in central Texas. So every bush, right, there's roots down there searching desperately for water and nourishment, And Jesus, again and again in the New Testament, tells us that a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. But if you look at a tree and the fruit is not there, then there's a root problem. Trees can't go find fruit and then glue them onto themselves. They're not capable of doing that. They have to have healthy roots that are drinking in nourishment, that are being transformed. So my question for you is, is where is your heart? Where are your roots? Are you taking in nourishment? of God's goodness? Are you believing at the heart his word, that he's good, that he loves you? Because only then will it come out in fruit. Only then will it produce anything in our life. If at the core we, we believe differently about his love, if we've taken him and his word into our heart. I shared last week the, the uh, concept of the expulsive power of a new affection. It's this old Puritan illustration of if we have a really great affection love for Jesus that pushes out the competing affections right so if you've been thinking that adultery is going to save you if you've been thinking that porn is going to save you if you've been thinking that success in your job is going to save you or if you've been thinking that control of your family is going to save you well rekindling a real affection for Jesus is going to help push out those other affections like filling water in a bucket it's going to push the dirt out of that bucket. And so again and again, we're called on to take who God is down into our heart and from the inside out be transformed. And, and what this looks like in, in homes, in families, I think is the same thing again. If, if you're single or if you're on your own and you don't have a, a home of other people to share this with, there's, there's other people that are close to you that will be affected by your life as well. So again, this can apply no matter where you are in your family dynamics. But what this looks like is the people that are closest to you see what's in your heart. They know what you really believe and what you really think. So my question for us is, is are we being the same in public as we are at home? Are you being the same in church as you are in the office cubicle? Do you believe the same things in both places? I think it's really important for us, if we're going to raise healthy kids, that we would be confessional people. And I don't mean confessional like you have a little confession booth in your house. Um, I don't even mean it in the historic sense of we all confess the same doctrine and faith. I mean, that's kind of what I mean. But in your home, are you confessing with your mouth the truth about who God is and the truth about yourself as a broken sinner? Are you that kind of transparent parent? I just thought of how that rhymed. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. Um, Are you real? Like, you know, are you just... 
Are you just being real and transparent before your kids? Or are you just trying to fake it with them? And one of the things that I think takes us off track here is we think, well, if I confess to my kids that I'm a sinner, or if I ever say I'm sorry when I've blown it with my kids, then all authority is out the window. They'll never obey me again. Well, I just have to challenge you. You're wrong, okay? It doesn't work that way. You can in one moment say, I'm sorry, I sinned, I blew it, but you know what? God hasn't revoked my badge. I'm still your dad. I'm still your mom. You still have to obey me. For some reason, it's God's plan that you would have broken sinners for parents. So I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Okay, you still have to go clean up your room. All right? So, so we have to be confessional people with our kids. We have to be real about that. That's one of the biggest problems in, in religious homes or homes that are trying to train their kids to love God. They often do it at the surface level. They never take it into the heart, and we're just not real with our kids. And they can smell the hypocrisy especially when your kids are teenagers. They, they can see it. They're smart enough to figure out what you really believe. They're smart enough to see by your behavior what you think, what you feel. They can, they can distinguish those things. There's a, there's a natural maturing process that takes place in the teenage years. Kids are naturally growing towards independence. And if you're a smart parent, you'll help them grow towards independence, right? You'll give them opportunities to make their own decisions. That's an important part of the parenting process, moving from high control when they're little and so some of you with little kids, that's just a reminder. You need to actually control them when they're little, okay? And you're moving to less control when they're older. You've got to train them to be independent. And so there's sometimes natural rebellion and friction that comes in the home when your kids are teens, right? Because they're kind of fighting for independence and the boundaries are being redrawn and it's confusing. Um, but don't make it more confusing by being a hypocrite. Don't make it worse by not confessing your sin with your kids. You're only going to compound problems. That's already going to be a difficulty in the teen years. Don't make it 10 times worse by being fake. Don't make, make it 10 times worse by not confessing your own sin and, and showing your kids what it means to, to walk with God by faith from the heart. Does that make sense? The, the next section that he shows us is that we have to be teaching. We have to be teaching people. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9 uh, shows that we should be teaching in every aspect of life. I think when we hear teaching, uh, this is maybe the, the image that pops into your mind. It's an old school you know, teacher from the 60s or whatever that might be. Chalkboard. Chalkboards are great. If, if that works for you, put a chalkboard in your house. Do whatever you have to, ha- uh, to do to make it work. This section here in verses 7, uh, 8, and 9 make it pretty clear that they're not just talking about formal teaching but they're not eliminating formal teaching either. They're, they're saying everything. Everything that could possibly be teaching is what it means to, to raise kids, okay? So let's read the text again here. 7 through 9 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So he's kind of saying every place you could place God's word, again, it starts with the heart. Remember that in verse 6? Take it into your heart, take it into your heart, take it into your heart. Now start teaching it to kids. Talk about it with your kids when they're going to bed, when they're getting up in the morning, when you're walking outside, when you're going to the shop. Uh, Write it in your home. Um, Put it, stick it on your head. I know they're not talking about tattoos here, but, you know, they would like put like, tape it on. Have you ever seen the Orthodox Jews will like take 
some of the scripture and, and like roll it up in little boxes and strap it on their wrists and their heads. Um, he's saying just inundate your life with it, okay? Inundate your life with it. Let God's word be everywhere. So start with it in your heart. Take it into your heart, but then push it out everywhere into your life and your home. And now recognize that some of you are going to get more geeked out about certain parts of that than others, right? Some of you will get really excited about writing it over the doorposts of your house, and you'll have scriptures, and they'll be pretty, and there'll be you know, calligraphy, and there'll be pictures, and you'll have them on your walls, and that's good. He says to do that, but don't just do that, okay? Right? Like, don't just put it on the wall and then never talk to your kids about it. And then others of you are really good at being casual and informal and talking to your kids about your faith, but then there's no formality, right? There's no structure anywhere. I, I struggle with that. I'm, I tend to be more informal. I'll, I'm going to talk to them all the time about it, person. But then sometimes we lack formality. So, so kind of balance out who you are. Think about who you are and, and what you do in your home and try to, try to do all of this. Try to talk about it. Try to write it. Try to post it. Try to engage about it. Try to debate it. You know, just bring the word into your home in every way possible. You're always teaching your kids every possible combination. I, I have some some specific uh, applications I'd like to give you. Just some specific things to try. Um, the jury's not out yet on our own kids, you know, so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, they're, they're in high school now. But my first application point would be this. For the first step of teaching is teaching them to obey, okay? So the first step of teaching is teaching your kids to obey. We need to not be afraid of discipline as parents, um, now, this doesn't necessarily mean you have to spank your kid for everything all the time. Right? There's kind of some extreme that's like, well, the Bible says use the rod, so spank him for everything all the time. And then there's another extreme that's like, that's child abuse, never do it. Don't ever cause pain or discomfort in your children. I would say, you know, really there's a common sense middle where in every avenue of our life, if we're training and we want to get better at something, we're going to endure pain and discomfort to get better at that. So remember, the goal is training your kids. The, the goal is not being justified in front of other Christians. The goal is not being justified in front of other people and saying, I do, you know, this kind of child rearing or I do that kind of child rearing. The, the goal is training your kids. And a principle we get from Proverbs when it talks about the use of the rod is don't be afraid to make your kids uncomfortable. I would translate that into it's okay for them to feel a temporary sting or a pop so that they don't get run over by a truck. That's worth it. That exchange is worth it to me. So painful discipline to me is, is worth it. It shouldn't be angry discipline. It shouldn't be me getting to just vent my anger and think that somehow I'm training my kids by showing them I can't control my temper. That's a, diff- that's a different thing, right? That's not really discipline. That's not really training. We, we've all had teachers or coaches who were really good at training us. And then we've all had teachers or coaches that just were incompetent and couldn't control their temper, Right? I'm not saying a parent never gets angry. Believe me, I I know it happens, (laughs) okay? I'm saying that's not really a training technique. Just venting is is not a training technique. Train, train them. Be competent, don't just be angry, okay? Um, The second thing I want to tell us is to use teachable moments. Just opportunities when your kids are curious, when you're curious, when you all have learned something new, Talk about it together un- under God, under his word. What does God's word have to say about this? When you watch a movie, fairy tales, Disney movies are great for this. There's a great hero. That hero reminds us of Jesus. Jesus saves us too, doesn't he? Well, Jesus didn't sing a song like that, so it's, you know, it's different and it's the same, right? There's some 
And so work through that with your kids. Like, okay, this, this fairy tale is different than what we believe, but there's also some similarities about it. And just talk through, use those opportunities to talk about how God presents himself in his word and the story of Jesus. Um, number three, worship together here at church. We've talked a lot, I think, in the past about as a church, we want to be the kind of people that invite friends to church. Um, make sure you invite your kids to church too. Invite your kids to church. We've actually structured it so that Sunday school is happening this hour. Um, so that you can worship as a family at 9 if you have Sunday school-age kids, and then go to Sunday school classes at 10.30. I'd, I'd encourage you to take advantage of that, or worship together at 5 p.m. Uh, since you're the 10.30 service, I'll just let you in on a secret. We're always trying to get people to not come to the 10.30 service, because this is just the time that everybody wants to come to church, right? So we're always trying to open up space in the other hours. We have a handout in the back of the room that you can pick up if you have school-age kids. It's called Parenting in the Pew. And this is basically a summary of a book called Parenting in the Pew. Um, we went the cheap route and just made a summary for you so you don't have to buy the books, okay? Now, uh, for some of you, you don't know what a pew is. Pew is ancient language for a church chair, okay? <laughs> so now we've translated. This is, this is saying, how do you parent your kids in church? H- how does that work? Because they sure are wiggly and distracting, and they're driving me nuts, and how am I going to do that? And so it, it helps you work through that. Because it's your job to teach your kids that church matters and it's worthwhile. We, we started at a very early age when our kids were preschoolers. We started bringing them into church sometimes, depending on the kids. Sometimes they'd stay through the whole service. Sometimes we'd have our kids come in and sing with us. And then we'd take them to nursery and then, you know, bring them as they got older. And, you know, we tried various things. There's some strategies in here to help you do that. But it's your job to train your kids to value church, to think it's important. Of course, you know, I know if, if you don't value church, that's going to be hard for you to do. Um, but I'd recommend, recommend trying that. The fourth thing, follow up from Sunday school. We have a fantastic Sunday school program here. Um, great Sunday school program, Bible-based. It's a lot of fun. Talk to your kids about what they're learning. Our youth group is fantastic. Talk to your youth about what they're learning in youth, how they're growing, what they've been being challenged by, what verses they're working on. Use that as follow-up. I'm, I'm very comfortable teaching. I've been uh, in ministry for years. I was a children's pastor and a youth pastor, so, so I have no problem coming up with a lesson for my kids, but most of the time I'm going to cheat and piggyback on what they're already learning in Sunday school, right? It just makes more sense. Why do I want to complicate things? So that's what we've done a lot of our life is just having conversations about what they're already learning. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, if you have kids also, it's really important that you would read the Bible to them yourself. I have a few here that I'd recommend. Um, one here is the story. This is the NIV, and it's cut and pasted into just the narrative chapters of the Bible. So they've taken the Bible, and they've just edited it down. It's like a shorter version of the Bible. It's just the stories. Put it together. So it kind of helps you get a feel for the flow of the Bible. You're reading a real Bible. You know, they didn't like rewrite it. They've just cut out a lot of the law and prophets and poetry and that kind of stuff to just give you a condensed version. So I'd recommend that. Um, and just for the record, you know, I'm not saying that this is now the true Bible. I still believe in the whole Bible, okay? But it helps you get a feel for the story. This is a chronological Bible. It takes the whole Bible and puts it in order. So you're going to get the whole thing here, but again, cut and pasted into order. So if you read the prophets and it's confusing, they, they paste it in next to the kings and the period of history where those prophets were, were doing their thing. So that's, this is a helpful tool as well, the daily Bible. Then there's two children's Bibles here that I want to recommend to you. Um, most children's Bibles are terrible, okay? So I haven't necessarily read all the ones on your bookshelf, but chances are they're terrible. 
These are two that I like. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the main idea is that Jesus is the main point of the whole Bible. Helps you get the flow. Okay, this is the Big Picture Story Bible. And kind of does the same thing. Uh, This one is a little more clear. Um, This one's a little more artsy and creative and hippie, right? So they both do the same thing. They're both kind of accomplishing the same thing, giving you the flow, right? Like the Bible makes sense. It's one story. If you're a new follower of Christ, buy these for yourself, right? I mean, they'll help you kind of get the flow of the story. Another book I'd recommend really anything by Susan Hunt, but this one is called My ABC Bible Verses. And what they do is they show a good job of putting in, in children's terms what it means to listen to the Holy Spirit and pay attention to his word. So if you're having a hard time translating that, living out of the heart that we talked about in the first point, this kind of helps translate it down to a kid's level. Great book. She's got another one too called Catechism Kids where they're kind of working through Uh, ancient catechism questions and answers on theology but same kind of idea what does it look like in real life to live out the things that we believe so those are some i would recommend to you you're welcome to look at these after the service but but please don't steal them and then the last thing the last thing i want to challenge you with is is maybe family worship maybe just worshiping together as a family and again uh, if you don't have kids you can still do this as husband and wife or if you don't have husband and wife. You could do this with roommates, right? Just gathering around the table and singing a favorite song, like taking one song we sang last week at church and saying, let's sing that together this week, or several songs, or, you know, learning a new hymn each week. But gathering to worship together in song and read a scripture and kind of have a little, like a little formal mini worship service around the table together. I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. It's a great experience. Again, these are things that we've done over the years, more and less at different times of our family seasons, you know, when we were more busy and less busy, we did it different ways. We've done things at breakfast, we've done things at dinner, depending on sports schedules and school schedules and how much kids are already committed to other things, trying to balance that out in a way that makes sense for our family, but we need to do these things. We need to incorporate these into our daily life, and I mentioned earlier, we've got the meeting this week on Thursday uh, for the new family worship small group that's starting just to try to do that together as a small group, so recommend that to you. The final thing I want to challenge us with, and now my clicker's not working. Can you go to the next one for me there? Final thing we want to think about is tearing down idols. What are idols that we need to tear down? I want to summarize verses 10 through 12 and then read verses, uh, or verses 10 and 11 and then read verses 12 through 15. So we're looking at verses 10 through 15, and verses 10 and 11 talk about going into the land, right? So God's giving them this promised land and he's basically giving them all these good things and saying, you're going to inherit these great riches uh, and then you're going to feel full. You're going to be fat and happy, okay? Things are going to go well. And, and what I want to do is translate this for you a little bit. Uh, given, given all things being equal and the rule of law, when you obey God's law, generally, especially in a country like ours, things go well for you. Right? Like if you begin living your life as a, as a disciplined life, loving God, loving your neighbors, working hard, living in balance, you're generally, not all the time, right? Because it's still a broken world, but generally your life is going to go well. And the danger when your life starts going well is that you look at yourself and say, look what I've done. I am awesome, right? And so look at verse 12. He says, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. 
Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord, your God in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. I'm just going to let that scary verse just kind of hang there, okay? Um, Lest you be destroyed from the earth. And what I want to zero in on is what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to fear him. He's calling us to reverence him. He's calling us to worship him and him alone as the real God and not the other idols of our culture. He's saying you're going into this land and then there's going to be other gods around that you're going to be tempted to worship. And what I want you to remember, we've talked about this before as a church, is is don't fall for the misunderstanding that that was just a problem that ancient people had and that we're too smart to bow down to other gods. Okay? I want you to pay attention to this. What happens when we worship other gods is we just don't call it worship. We just don't call them gods. But we bow down to pleasure. And we bow down to success. And we bow down to our own personality quirks and habits and addictions and relationships. And we worship these things. We just don't call it worship. And so there are always idols in our life that we need to be cutting out. We always need to be remembering that God is the real God. That those other things can't save us. And we always need to be moving our trust and our faith out of those things and into the real God. We need to fear him. We don't need to stay up late fearing these other things that might happen to us. We need to fear the real God of the universe. We need to be actively in our homes and in our lives and in our workplaces and in everything that we do, be tearing out those idols, be taking our faith out of these other things and placing our faith in who God is. And they're going to change. In different times of life, they're going to be different things. You're going to have different temptations when you're younger and when you're older. You're going to have different temptations when your life is really busy and when your life has a lot of free time. There's going to be different temptations, different idols that you're going to be lured towards. And God's saying, recognize that and fear me alone. See me as the real God of the universe and don't see these other things as God's. And so what are the things that you need to throw away? What are the things that you need to root out of your family life? What are the things competing for time? Uh, the thing that I see that, because I'm you know, like an old guy now with teenagers, the thing I see that freaks me out with young kids is just the screens, right? Like every kid now, every two-year-old has an iPhone apparently. I'm not sure how, when that happened, but I have a picture here of what community looks like uh, in our culture. This is community in our culture. Bunch of people standing in a circle staring at a screen. Any of you ever read the book Fahrenheit 451? It's a pretty pretty scary uh, view of reality and and true in a lot of ways. Um, We might need to put the screens down. We might need to put the screens down. My wife and I even realized that this summer. We we had a little more free time early in the summer. We started surfing more on Facebook. And I realized, you know what? Ten years ago, I would have never been the kind of dad or husband that just had the TV on. We just don't, we don't do that. We're, we're too spiritual for that, right? Um, but I'm doing it right here. You know, I've got this little TV in my pocket that I'm looking at all the time. So it's like I've, I've given up one idol and I've just picked up another. And we need to continually be alert. There's always these new idols creeping in. You know, it's hard to keep bugs and lizards out of the cracks in your homes. And these things are going to keep crawling in to your life. And so we just need to have an awareness of that, those things that divert our attention from God and from the things that he's called us to. And just be vigilant about, about tearing those down, unplugging those. They're, they're often good things. They're just not God. 
right? They're often good things. Communication's great. I'm glad I can communicate with people I went to high school with 22 years ago, right? And that's, that's kind of a cool thing. But I don't need to be surfing Facebook all the time, right? I, I'm, I'm glad that I can find success at work. I'm glad that I can find pleasure in a great meal or a drink. I'm, I'm glad that I can enjoy these gifts from God that he gives us, but don't worship them, right? That, that's the thing. We need to tear them down as objects of worship. We need to tear down the idols in our life. So think about what are the things that you need to cut out out of your kid's life, out of your life. Again, your extended family, if you have roommates, what, what does that look like? What, what changes need to take place? And I want to conclude just where he concludes in verse 20 and 21. It's a section we didn't really read, uh, but I'll just read this to you. 20 and 21 says this. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord has commanded you? All right, so he's going to ask you, what's this about? What is this covenant life that we live with this God? And what does this mean? What are these rules and regulations that we're keeping? Why do we live this way? Why is our family different? Like, why, why doesn't our family leave the TV on all the time? Why don't we get to play video games 12 hours a day? You know, like, why, what is it that's unique about our family. And he says in verse 21, then you shall say to your son, and I'm going to update this, we were slaves and the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. We were slaves and the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. I want you to remember your adoption. Again, we're, we're God's family by adoption by the work of Jesus on the cross, because he's a saving God. He came to us in our rebellion, and he said, I love you so much, I'm going to chase you down, and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to take your sins upon myself, and I'm going to give you life through my resurrection. I'm going to conquer sin and death for you. Now follow me. Now follow me. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you made us your own. We thank you that you adopted us, that when we were slaves to sin, you, you came after us and We thank you for that grace, and I pray that we would live out of that grace, that we would believe it, that we'd take it into our hearts, and it would transform the way we live. We'd we'd teach those around us about it. We'd talk about it all the time. We'd live in a new way. We'd, We'd continually take our faith out of false idols and place our faith back in you, the real God. Help us to walk in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.